0: My sound, my fidelity is pretty crap. So Jonas is sending me a, a better microphone. Hopefully it's in place by the next episode, and you will have me in high death. Sweet, sweet balm for the ears.
1: Hello and welcome to Pod Hard, a podcast about action movies with me, Jonas Hergberry, and in the other ring corner,
0: Anders Hultquist.
1: The Hultquist.
0: Yeah, the man, the miss. Uh,
1: hello and uh, welcome back, everybody. Uh, this will be our second episode in English, and we're still a bit uh, finicky about it, but uh, I'm sure we'll do just fine. Last episode, we talked about the really, really, really early cinema. And in this episode, we will be talking about the 1910s, the entire decade, which has been a heavy-duty work for us to uh, really capture the essence of the (laughs) 10s.
0: I don't even know if that is what we're trying to do, but...
1: uh... We will be tracing the history of action cinema, so uh, drama and stuff like that, we will simply skip, uh, because it's... uh, this is a part pod- a podcast about action movies so we're only interested in the action so in this episode we'll be talking a lot about uh, serials and uh, comedies but also a bit about technical achievements and uh, uh, some uh, Italian big uh, epic movies so Anders uh, where where do we begin?
0: We take it from the top I guess 1910. Not much going on. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to have to edit out. <laughs> well, this. Uh, this
1: is interesting because we, we talked about this uh, before uh, starting our recording that uh, you can really see the progression of the language of cinema in the tens because, uh, like, the first five years or so, there's very little interesting stuff. And then as uh, people are getting the hang of editing, pacing... And constructing sets and thinking outside of the box. You get some really nice uh, movies.
0: I think uh, we were surprised that so much was uh, already in place so early last episode. Yeah. And now, now it's pretty obvious that they're experimenting with uh, narrative and editing techniques more. This telling a story is a, it's a bit heavy. here early but but I watched a bunch of early D.W. Griffith movies as well and and I I don't think they are that fun (laughs) Uh, no
1: definitely not
0: I can see that he has been important for refine uh, parallel editing somewhat here early yeah but it is techniques that we have already seen in those early experimental movies. Mm, yeah. Uh, so he, he refines it somewhat. But he's quite obsessed with uh, the Civil War era. And also women uh, locked inside rooms with hobos uh, coming at them <laughs> from the outside.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. You know, that that was drama back in the day.
0: But he has some great mass uh, scenes. Uh, I like how all his battle scenes are just covered in smoke. In the end, you, you can't see anything. It's, pretty, it's a pretty cool
1: effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we like that uh, sort of stuff. Uh, was, wasn't there some kind of fog-like um, uh, war uh, scenes in um, The Last of the weekends that we really... Oh, yeah, this is... Mm. Fantastic stuff. So uh, the fog of war. The fog of war, exactly.
0: So the most impressive movie from Griffith was, I think, Fighting Blood, where where there's a bunch of dudes uh, in a in a shack. That is shooting a bunch of guys outside. And there's just smoke uh, everywhere.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And um, Griffith, um, he wasn't alone in constructing more narrative-focused movies with uh, parallel editing. There was a female director who, well, I guess I would at least say that she topped uh, Griffith's visual experiments. Lois Weber.
0: Yeah, Suspense from 1913. This seems to establish a lot of horror and thriller tropes as well. She, she has some really nice um,
1: framing of the camera. You know, uh, you can really see a lot of these early movies from the 10s, they, they don't really know where to put the camera so they just try to to capture as as lot uh, a lot of action uh, as possible to get a lot of dudes into the frame uh, running around doing crazy stuff but when you actually think about the placements of the camera that's when you can create something like suspense in suspense there is a car chase that is really nice uh, edited you get uh, they they place the camera on top of the chasing car behind Uh, the person standing on the car uh, and so you get the feeling of yeah i'm on the car chasing that other car together with these guys Uh, and then they cut to a shot of the car being chased the the car in front and the camera focuses on the rear view mirror and uh, looking at um, the car chasing.
0: That shot is awesome. You even uh, have a glimpse of a, a police trying to climb from the pursuing car onto the the chased car. Yeah, and and that is also framed in the rearview mirror.
1: A lot of these fantastic shots really make for a pleasant viewing. I mean, the movie isn't uh, something really special plot-wise. It's very basic. It's a lot like the D.W. Griffith movies.
0: Yeah, it felt like a variation on that theme, but better made.
1: Uh, There's a hobo trying to get to a woman and her child in a home. And uh, this guy uh, being chased by the cops is trying to get home and save uh, the woman.
0: But it has point of view shots as well. Uh, I, I was thinking when she watches outside from the, the second floor, there's an above head shot. I thought about Psycho when the camera is placed right above. And then we have the the first that I have noticed, uh, Healing Car. <laughs> I, I was thinking of you uh, when it's coming around the corner and, and uh, wobbles Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, from, from the speed. Yeah, how do you say healing? Is that is that the word healing? That's an uh, direct translation. I don't know. <laughs> okay,
1: okay. In Swedish, we would say krängande when the um, top of the car is like trying to uh, get loose from the bottom of the car. You know, it's really uh, pushing away from the car uh, when doing the turn. And I love that so much. I think it's so uh, visual, so spectacular, so uh, exciting. And we see that a lot in uh, 70s movies. But uh, as we see here, everything was done <laughs> super early on, of
0: course. So we can say Lewis Weber refined uh, Griffith's refinements. And and later on, Griffith will go all out with his with the Birth of a Nation, his... Uh, clan revival movie I think Michael Bay is commenting on that one in the opening to uh, Bad Boys 2 you know that that opens on a clan meeting and has uh, directed by Michael Bay on top of a burning cross I think he wants to comment on on this uh, ugly side of uh, American uh, cinema history. Well, that's
1: interesting. I mean, Michael Bay himself has been accused of uh, racism. You know, the the robots in Transformers. He is a bit of a a strange case.
0: Absolutely. I don't even know if this is uh,
1: conscious. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not, yeah. But Uh, he
0: digs up and ugliness.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, the D.W. Griffith, he got a lot of flack for uh, Birth of a Nation, actually, uh, not only praise... Uh, and that's part of the reason he made intolerance uh, later on to try to show hey, hey don't point fingers at me look at what I can do uh, uh, we need to have tolerance for each other and stuff like that but
0: uh, isn't it more on uh, tolerance for for him <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah probably probably uh, so, yeah, let's, uh, let's just leave D.W. Griffith. He isn't worth our time.
0: But, uh, okay, the comedians that will show up uh, later, I, I think uh, we should uh, at least mention Max Linder, a mm. uh, French comedian yeah. who seemed to be a precursor because he seems to be the first one who is uh, a continuous character yeah. throughout several movies.
1: Yeah, and this, this was uh, important uh, for the tense, uh, for all the comedians. They, they really refined a personality, a, a person, a character that they could adopt in all of their movies that would sort of, you know, you just put the character in different uh, scenarios and stuff would happen. And... Uh, This is the Max character. And so um, technical-wise, there's a lot of uh, technical achievements that happen in the tense. One of them that is already in place uh, is matte painting. Another part of this uh, using glass was rotoscoping. It was an animation technique that uh, Max Fleischer invented in the later tense where you would have someone perform for you and then you could paint the um, the character on top of that person so he invented his character coco the clown for this purpose Uh, and coco was uh, played by mac's brother who was a clown his uh, first uh, short the tantalizing fly from 1919. Now I'm skipping ahead a bit. I'm just talking technical achievements here. I thought that was a a very funny animated movie um, where, you know, they combine real movie with animated movie. Uh, Sort of like uh, Space Jam, I guess. (laughs) So, we've established that a lot of things are going on. Animation, uh, visual effects. They uh, achieved a a new version of matte painting in the late 10s. Uh, Frank Williams uh, patented a new version called Traveling mat, which allowed filmmakers more freedom by putting actors in front of black background and then copying the material in high contrast negatives, which essentially got you early green screen. You could like put up anything in the background and still have the person in front.
0: Yeah, so now that everything has been done already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's some quite fun meta things in some early Chaplin movies also. I was thinking about this film Johnny and the Masquerader from 1914 where where Chaplin is going to the cinema and watches movies and is on set. Roscoe, Arbuckle and uh, Buster Keaton does this later in a we- very weird meta textual movie where they're already commenting on the on the film.
1: Keystone Cops, they started out in 1912, so very early on, uh, starting this uh, movie studio, Keystone, in uh, Hollywood, of course, where a lot of big movie studios had moved out and started making big movies. And due to the First World War, soon every single movie in the world would be American, because, uh, you know, the European studios would be sort of defunct after the war, Um, And Hollywood would would simply just take over the world. But this early on in in the 1912s, that wasn't the case. And uh, I'm sort of wondering why these persons were allowed to keep going. Because the first Keystone Cops movies isn't uh, really that good. They are simply, you know, running around and seemingly without... any direction or something
0: the keystone cops are mentioned as the first stunt team I'm not sure uh, the first stunt team you say? they were uh, a group of clowns vaudevillains villains villains do you say that I guess race car drivers and stuff.
1: I mean the per- persons from with the vaudeville background I guess, uh, vaudeville theater background.
0: There's a lot of falling on the ass uh, but but we've seen that from the <laughs> the get-go, but there's also yet again The refinement of of falling on the ass.
1: Two important guys. uh, Roscoe, Fatty Arbuckle and Charlie Chaplin becomes part of the Keystone Studios making movies in 1914, I think. I mean, Roscoe perhaps even earlier. And Roscoe is like this big character.
0: I think uh, Roscoe is is good at falling on his ass as well. <laughs> 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 but he has a tendency to, to drag out his uh, comedy bits a bit. But you are a big fan of Barney Oldfield's Race for Life from 1913.
1: Oh yeah, that movie, man, we almost skipped that movie. But uh, Barney Oldfield's Race for Life has a fantastic ending to it that makes it a must-see of the tens. I think. (laughs) Partly you see this, uh, you know, woman tied to a railway trope, uh, which was established very early on, not in this movie, as people are saying. And I mean, this is uh, something we talked about also. A lot of information about these old movies are in seemingly incorrect. A lot of misinformation is being spread about who was first, what movie did what, and uh, stuff like that. I think it's
0: practically impossible to, to do those this was first, and a lot of people pick this out as the first uh, to use the this uh, woman tied on the railway variation, which I think was an established stage trope already. So, but the earliest we've seen on the movie was in the Train Wreckers from 1905, Edwin S. Porter's movie, which had a pretty cool stunt involving w- with a guy uh, riding in front of the train. Uh, scooping up the lady
1: so it was actually done the best earliest because uh, you know the trope in uh, barney oldfield's race for life uh, it's pretty basic yeah, they're rescuing the woman uh, just in time as the train comes in pretty impressive uh, stunt they, they just get out of the way of the train and i'm guessing they must have filmed this like in reverse because the train was coming in very fast I mean, even um, as they um, speed things up uh, when uh, showing the movie, it went very fast. So I'm guessing they did it backwards, as they did with a lot of stunts. And
0: about projection speeds.
1: Yeah, this we got to talk about this, man. This, this was a revelation to me when I found out. You know, they talk about silent movies that they were filmed in like 16 frames per second. You know, film today is like 24 frames per second. When you're talking film, to get that crispy, uh, you know, almost, uh, it's not really, really, but it's, uh, you know, that, that film feeling. Uh, but back in the early days, a lot was filmed in between 12 to 26 frames, actually. So they were filming in all kinds of um, frame speeds. But the thing was that when they sent out the films to the um, theaters and the projectionist would um, shoot the movie, they would uh, do it with a crank, you know, uh, cranking the speed. And they would get instructions from the movie company to... Crank in different speeds depending on where in the movie you were. So for instance, if you had like a a speedy action sequence, you were to to crank really fast to get the the action to move really fast. And when you had like a a talking scene, you would crank sort of normally. They were early, um, you know, today we have VJs, video jockeys. But they were cinema jockeys. They were CJs. That's fantastic. So anyway, back to back to Barney Oldfield's race for a life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't uh, get over it.
1: <laughs> I just gotta say this. Uh, at the end of the movie, the bad guy, which is like this uh, cartoon character with the big mustaches, he shoots a bunch of uh, policemen coming on a trolley and... After he tries to shoot himself, when discovering that the, the gun doesn't have any bullets left, he starts choking himself on the train track and succeeding. I'm guessing he does like a swirl on the on the on the rail and falls over with his uh, legs in the air. I mean, it's uh, I can't find words for how fantastic this uh, this ending is. You need to check it out.
0: Uh, Meanwhile, in Italy, they they did uh, (laughs) (laughs) much more impressive mass scenes than than Griffith could muster up. I mean, uh, how many extras do they have in there? They just round them up.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm guessing uh, they just go around with a a big uh, bus, you know, picking up people as they go. Hey, you want to be in a movie? Jump in. Let's go. Let's make a sword and sandal movie. They're making uh, Spartacus, they're making uh, The Siege of Troy, Uh, they're making all these great um, stories from the Roman era and further back Greek era. It's not a really refined sort of action. It's just, you know, they put up the camera and let people run around. But there's a lot of people and there's a lot of impressive sets as well.
0: So uh, the most impressive I've seen from this era was from the Warrior 1916, Massiste Alpino. Ah, I don't know, Masiste, is that a recurring... uh, That's some kind of recurring character because I have another Masiste movie from 1915 which is also pretty cool. We've only seen a part of uh, The Warrior. This is a a full feature movie, 90 minutes. There's these insane mountain climbing scenes in the beginning. They're carrying around cannons and uh, I don't know, everything. There's an army up in the mountains it seems to be <laughs> at location. They they projected a
1: rope across a ravine and they're climbing you know with their with their arms over the rope over the ravine. Uh, with big packs on their backs and being all butch and (laughs) superhuman like.
0: Yeah and then this I guess this massist character shows up in the later scenes and he's some kind of early The Rock Dwayne Johnson. He just goes around and and, uh, throws people around.
1: Uh, He's very good I mean nothing can hurt this guy Uh, people are running around shooting at him I think but he isn't faced by anything.
0: I I like when he kicks up a guy in to his arms uh, some kind of wire stunt and th- just throws him out of window. So I probably should have researched this Massist character because then he shows up uh, in another that has a pretty funny setup. Massist from 1915 where a girl is hunted by bad guys and she sneaks into the cinema and watches a movie and is so impressed by this uh, big buff uh, star that she seeks out uh, the star of the movie to have him uh, protect uh, her. <laughs> uh, okay, and it's most impressive because there's a brawl that just uh, starts, and then it cuts to just yeah a couple of seconds of a shootout in a dark room where you only see the room when there's muzzle flares from the guns. So there, there's like a shadow play and just smoke, and it's it's an early Johnny Toe scene. I don't know what it has to do with anything else in the movie i guess <laughs> the rest is lost or something
1: yeah so uh, there's a lot of things going on in europe as well but uh, the most action you get for your money that's in the united states of america and one of the biggest like action things going on uh, in the tens is cereals um, and the the funniest thing about cereals is that Almost, I wouldn't say every serial, but a lot of these serials have female action heroes in them. Female stars that uh, do their own stunts, that write scenarios, that directs. Uh, ...that produces, that are like um, auteurs uh, doing action... ...which I think is uh, really smashing. I think the first uh, serial, at least the first serial with a woman... ...is the Girl Spy series that actually started in 1909... ...so we should have done this uh, the last episode I guess. Uh, (laughs) uh, That was Jean Gontier and she did everything she did like uh, one episode a week they would shoot for girl spy which would be like 10 15 minutes or something like that a lot of these um serials they were <laughs> they were a lot of them were railroad based i don't know why everyone was so fascinated with railroads back then but uh, you know that was like uh, if you want action in a movie you got to do it on a train or in front of a train or you know <laughs> Swirling from a balloon above a train or something,
0: but I mean those trains, heavy machines—they uh, pretty good uh, symbol of of the industrialism that just uh, runs amok <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah, I guess <laughs> it's also interesting that Griffith, uh, in his movies, there's this uh, sense of control that you could control the train, and in the serials, it's more like the train uh, breaks down or something, and uh, the train out these of women are. S- yeah, it's out of control. But these uh, women, they can adapt to the situation and 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 overcome it, and adapt to the modernity. While Griffith is uh, conservative and thinks that man already has control over the situation, <laughs> the train is for him to handle or something. Oh yeah, I mean, he's
1: very very nice um, allegory. I think. Or what, what do you say? Um, so uh, apart from Gontier you have a lot of female stars. You have like Kathleen Williams, you have Pearl White, you have Helen Holmes. So there's a lot of big stars uh, getting their fame from these serials and performing their own stunts. We've watched a bit of Pearl White's uh, big series from The Perils of Pauline from 1914. A lot of this stuff are gone forever, um, unfortunately. And a lot of these uh, serials episodes are gone as well. So um, we're only getting like a bite-sized
0: portion of it. But I mean, these are the real, the original action heroes. Because everyone else is just falling on their ass. These women are doing hardcore stunts. And the shows are built around it as well. The narrative is set in motion. The train is going. (laughs) (laughs) And, And you're gonna... You're gonna jump on it from a car, from a plane. This is action movies. These are. This act- is
1: action movies. And I mean, I haven't seen uh, the girl spy movies. Uh, there's not that much uh, preserved. But at least there is some from The Perils of Pauline. And uh, Pearl White, she became like the queen of serials. She was, I guess, the most famous in the 10s. And she did a lot of her own stunts and... Actually, injured her spine during the shooting of the Perils of Pauline. And I guess, um, and I, she was doing a lot of stuff. She was uh, holding on a onto a rope from a hot air balloon, floating through air through Manhattan. Crazy stuff, actually, which would like we would like attribute to Jackie Chan doing stuff like that. But these women were putting their lives in danger every week for these crazy serials. I think um, The Hazards of Helen is perhaps the most watchable of these old serials uh, which starred Helen Holmes for the first 48 episodes and then another Helen took off. Helen Gibson took off um, 71 episodes and there was actually a Swedish-American woman uh, jumping in for Helen Holmes when she was sick called Anna Q. Ericsson, which was a big silent star. Yay for Sweden! We at least have something in this uh, action vein here. So there's a lot of cool stunts and I think Helen Gibson did uh, a lot of really nice stunts. She did a very very dangerous stunt where she leapt off the roof of of a it was like a station uh, bridge over the um, the train so she jumped down on the train as the train passed uh, in full motion when she landed she almost slid off the train but managed to grab hold of a um, I don't know a thing jutting out that she could project herself up to um, the roof again this was like uh, <laughs> this was like an ordinary day job for her,
0: and that's from that cool scene where she she starts on a horse, doesn't she? H- hunts down a car, has a fight on the car, <laughs> takes the car. Rides it to a bridge and jumps from the car to the train. I mean, that's a pretty cool uh, action sequence.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And there is a a fantastic scene in Hazards of Helen. The camera is situated on the top of a train, and you see like two uh, train workers. Uh, The train is moving through uh, like a station, and you see a, a bridge atop. And you see suddenly, when the train workers are coming closer to the camera, a rope coming down from the, uh, from the bridge and a woman, uh, Helen, uh, rappelling down the rope down onto the train. This is a really nice, cool shot as it's uh, framed from the point of view of the train, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful. From the escape on the fast fright, 1915. It's a really cool shot. Fantastic! I I had hoped she was gonna fight those guys when she <laughs> landed on the train, but uh, they they help her instead. <laughs> and she jumps from a motor from a motorcycle to a moving train as well in the open track from from 1916.
1: Yeah, I mean they they were daredevils. Uh, Helen Holmes wanted to race cars uh, competitively, but uh, couldn't because women wasn't allowed to do that. So when she got the opportunity, to, ha- to have her own uh, film series. She Took every opportunity to drive cars and do dangerous stunts with them because nobody cared at the movie studios in the early days. And which I guess was good for women because they were, you know, being allowed to to show that uh, they could do every bit of uh, stuff that the men could do. And were every bit of Daredevil more so, seemingly, doing these crazy stunts. Someone should do some uh, real documenting of these uh, serials. Uh, I think there's a lot of good stuff to be found here.
0: As you said, it was uh, 119 episodes of Hazards of Helen.
1: Yeah, I think I've seen three or four, but uh, th- there's not that many preserved. So what you going to do? So yeah, that's serials. And unfortunately, they went out of style in the late 10s. And uh, that's sort of uh, marked the end for women um, doing their own stunts and having this creative control of movies.
0: Yeah, these series were almost they were treated like B movies almost uh, yeah. later on. And and the, the feature film took over, I guess. I don't know exactly how, but <laughs> I I guess they became better at, at this narrative thing. Well, let's hope. Let's hope. Because the feature movies I've I've seen so far. <laughs> in the action field at least, we are we are we have a very narrow scope here. <laughs> I gotta admit, maybe someone did some. President. Speaking of
1: action heroes, uh, there's at least one male action hero that uh, sort of emerges in the tens Douglas Fairbanks. I knew next to nothing about Douglas Fairbanks Sr., actually, but as I've read up on him, I have to say he seems like a really cool dude. He was uh, sort of progressive. He looked over scripts. And when he saw like too much racist stuff in the script, he would often cross it out and try to, with the time, with the... with the, the um, uh, Well, he was nice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he tried uh, to, do, to do something.
1: He tried to do something at least with uh, the racist... Uh, Uh, stuff that was going on at the time and he was uh, crazy i mean this guy was like a parkour king like 90 years before people were beginning to do parkour
0: and i mean there's just these small touches as well that he does he jumps over a a chair or something or just climbs a, a fence and there's just these small details physical details that he adds in it reminded me a lot of Jackie Chan. Yeah. So, so let's talk about uh,
1: your favorite Douglas Fairbanks movie of the Tens, Manhattan Madness from 1916.
0: Yeah. So in, in the Tens, he was uh, doing the. He will go on to do only costume movies, uh, Musketeers and Sorrow and stuff. But in the Tens, he was famous for this modern day man dude going around i don't know but manhattan madness from 1916 i thought it was a masterpiece <laughs> <laughs> i love this movie after all those griffith movies that almost had me uh, do in the the tense this was uh, really fun and and it moved uh, it had crisp editing could be uh, projection speed errors i don't know but some stuff has really fast editing and just these small stuff, climbing chairs or uh, stuff, and and fun fights at the end, although very under cranked. I
1: think this is a good example of the cranking differences of speeds uh, that would be performed by machine machinists. So there's you can you can see it being speed up. I mean, crazy much sometimes. Yeah, uh, but it's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fun. I I agree. I agree. Um so it has a fantastic ending where like I mean everybody's running around <laughs> and I don't know the plot the plot is very weird I mean he's like a guy from what was he from Nevada or something like that I mean like It's
0: open with comparing New York to uh, to the the out west Okay he's, yeah the west He's a western guy Yeah and uh, comes to the big city to meet up a bunch of friends yeah and uh, after some uh, more or less uh, funny <laughs> what do more you say comparison <laughs> Yeah, yeah, between some New are, York and the West. Some so. are more fun and some are less fun, <laughs> admittedly.
1: What? This is a masterpiece, Anders. What are you talking
0: about? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it moves into uh, territory where uh, he, he says there's no excitement in the big city. They do this big plan where they involve him in, in some... He's supposed to believe there's a kidnapping and a jewel thief and stuff
1: yeah so they like perform like the game for him or something
0: like that so he can get in this big brawl they all fight and he throws a guy down the stairs <laughs> and they are out and climbing and jumping no no no, no, no. you have to tell jumping. it from the beginning
1: man tell it from the beginning i mean he picks up a guy at the bottom of the stairs and he goes up the stairs dragging this guy behind him Uh, on the stairs and then when he reaches the top of the stairs he picks him up and throws him down on all of the other people coming up the stairs and they are tumbling down the stairs
0: fantastic exactly that's what we call a masterpiece
1: (laughs) well i guess i guess Uh, and it's a it's a sort of a dark ending as well when they reveal
0: yeah spoiler alert there's a twist ending as well
1: yeah, but first of all, first of all, uh, I mean, suddenly he discovers that everybody has gone. He's he's like alone in the house and he goes around. What, what? Where did everybody go? And suddenly he sees like a small hatch or something opening way in the background. And there's like a dude looking out at him and saying, oops, and like shutting the hatch. And he's like, what? 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 What is happening? There's like a secret room somewhere. So he... He charges the hatch, breaks it down and comes in to like uh, a big room where everybody's like uh, sitting around playing poker or something. And they're like, oh, we tricked you all right. And he gets like, oh, yeah, but I tricked you because I'm the big bad uh, dude of the West, like some uh, Billy the Kid character from the West. So his whole band comes charging in uh, like cowboys and stuff, taking everybody hostage. (laughs) (laughs)
0: It's <laughs> a yeah, so, great movie. It's like uh, Jackie Chan meets Buñuel. I recommend it. And uh, then he gets a, uh, shows a hint of uh, where he is going in a modern musketeer that starts with a, a swashbuckling scene from 1917. We get a, a pre-taste. It's pretty good, actually. But the best fight in this one is uh, when he, uh, he sees a man uh, who is uh, not kind to a woman. So he follows this guy to a, a room and he tears it apart. He beats up everyone. He climbs on the walls and jump around, you know, like Fandam did in Knockoff. He just flies around in the room. He takes a table and uh, squashes a guy with it, and uh, jumps on the table with this guy underneath.
1: You get a sense for his athleticism and uh, his uh, bravery and his uh, willing to do everything for a scene. I mean, he, he certainly goes uh, the distance.
0: I'm looking forward to uh, delve deeper into Douglas Fairbanks. Yes, yes, yes. What yes, we yes. also get is his uh, a bit annoying uh, <laughs> winking at the camera. <laughs> he, goes, he goes all in. I mean, he twirls his mustaches... Gets up real close and just wink wink.
1: Uh, yeah, so, sort of like Burt Reynolds in the 70s. Yeah,
0: yeah, just what I thought an early Burt Reynoldism.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, so uh, anyway, let's uh, sort of round this up with the finishing years of the tents, where I think the comedy really shines. So let's head back to our friends, Roscoe Arbuckle, Chaplin, and the introduction of Buster Keaton. Yeah, so
0: 1917 to 1919 is where they...
1: They go to town.
0: They perceive mastery at falling on your ass.
1: I mean, I'm not I'm not convinced of uh, Chaplin. I, I think um, I can't quite understand why people uh, like Chaplin so much. I mean, I guess it's like, oh, he produces social commentary. Uh, he has some narrative. Uh, but his bits are not that great. I was thinking more,
0: yeah, he kicks someone in the ass a couple of times and falls on the ass a couple of times. Th- Let's just say he's maybe he's not that important for action cinema.
1: But there is at least one good uh, Chaplin movie of the 17s, I think. Uh, the Immigrant, where he uses like a seasickness camera. They are situated on a on a boat in rocky waters. And the camera is uh, moving like with the boat. I'm not sure how they filmed this. But it's a really nice effect like when everything turns... Uh, From left to right all the time. He built some nice um, comedic bits around this. Like when he and a mate is sitting eating. They're like uh, sharing uh, the same plate. As the plate goes uh, from one side of the table to the other. And they're like having one bite. And the other is having one bite. When the plate is moving over. At least uh, that is somewhat worth uh, checking in I think. But uh, the big one for... The tense Roscoe Arbuckle, he comes into his own, I think, when he meets Buster Keaton. The man, the myth, the legend.
0: Yeah, it's pretty obvious from the get go that Buster Keaton is a star.
1: Absolutely.
0: He just comes in and falls on his ass like no man has done before. And that is so interesting. I mean, um, Buster Keaton
1: was brought up to be this uh, movie star from the (laughs) get-go. He
0: was brought up falling on his ass. (laughs) Yeah,
1: he was brought up falling on his ass. Uh, Literally. I mean, his parents was a traveling vaudeville act, and he was, like, a part of that act from, like, early on, a couple of years only. And he was given the name Buster, allegedly by magician-legend Harry Houdini, who was also a part of this uh, traveling vaudeville act after Buster had to uh, fall down a set of stairs aged six months without a scratch.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are these uh, myths. Uh, he's really great at building... I, I guess he has built a myth around himself.
1: Mm. The one I w- think where so he was
0: carried away by a tornado. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As well, as a child. <laughs> and carried to safety.
1: But uh, I think it's somewhat true that uh, the police would sort of investigate his parents uh, from time to time since uh, they would uh, throw him around in their sets, in their bits, in the vaudeville act. They they actually invented like a special um, special jacket for Buster which had a small handle on Buster's back so his father could pick him up swirl him around and throw him into the audience. This was his uh, every day. So Buster early on got the gist of how to fall. You know, landing limp, uh, breaking the fall with a foot or a hand. It's sort of second nature to someone who has been thrown around every single day for his entire life. I mean, it looks like he's breaking his neck in every fall, but apparently, <laughs> and you know, the only one time he really broke his neck was when he shot, uh, was it like Our Hospitality or something like that? Sherlock Jr. perhaps? He is running on a train track and jumping onto a, um, a water thingamajig.
0: Yeah, that water disposal
1: uh, thing. And the water was so... uh, When the water pushed him down onto the train tracks, he apparently knocked his head towards the train track and broke his neck. But he didn't feel that. He only discovered it years later after complaining about headaches to his doctor. This guy is like indestructible. Uh, A fun thing about Buster is that uh, he left his uh, mother and father at like age 19 and uh, went to um, Broadway. On Broadway, he was discovered by Roscoe Arbuckle. The very same day that they met, they decided to shoot the scene And make a movie together. And that movie became. The
0: Butcher Boy. Yeah they uh, throw a bunch of stuff. In each other's faces. I mean uh, there was this uh, trio of guys. Roscoe Arbuckle. Buster Keaton and Al St. John. Made a bunch of movies together. I have a problem with Al St. John. He plays it really broad. Grimacing and clowning. But he's a really great athlete. He has a. Really cool acrobatic scene. I think it was in The Rough House, also from 1917.
1: You know, you can you can see uh, Buster's influence on, on uh, Roscoe from the get-go. I mean, Buster was hired not only as uh, an assistant actor, he was also hired as an assistant director and as, like, the sole gag maker for Roscoe. So he, like, invented every single gag for these movies they made together. And there's a lot of finicky stuff. I mean, they're they're running around on ladders, uh, sliding ladders. Uh, they're throwing flower bombs. They're getting stuck in molasses. And Buster, like, he has his look from the get-go. He has his big flat hat and a couple of goofy shoes.
0: He's ready to go. From an action perspective, I think, maybe the Bellboy from 1918 is their biggest. It has their biggest set pieces that, that feels more action oriented.
1: I think the Bellboy is my favorite movie of the 10s actually. I think it's funny almost all the way through and a lot of impressive gags and sets and uh, the ending is like freeform madness with a lot of parkour things going on. I love it.
0: The parkour bits are what you should call them are so are framed and shot so well. You can really feel that cleaner approach from Bastiquitan in, in setup. I think they have a, a really cool thing going on, which they almost perfect here in the Bellboy, which I saw traces of in the Rough House, where they do this uh, thing where they throw things uh, through the screen or people and then they continue in the next shot in another room. So they throw things and people from uh, frame to frame or from room to room. And it's really well made in The Bellboy. So uh,
1: they're using a lot of uh, comedy tropes in all these movies. I mean, one of the biggest is, I guess, the, the pie in the face. Uh, <laughs> which uh, someone has traced uh, all the way back to 1909 in a movie called Mr. Flip. But that isn't like a classic pie-in-the-face. That is that is someone holding a pie and shoving it into a face on someone.
0: Yeah, they just plant it in the face.
1: Real pie-in-the-face, that is someone throwing it with intent in someone's face at, at a distant. Uh, and that is uh, perhaps the first... Uh, done by Mabel Normand in a Fatty Arbuckle movie called In a Noise from the Deep in 1913
0: I just get a quote Guinness records uh, here
1: okay so they they are the ones that are claiming this
0: the first ballistic custard pie <laughs> was discharged by Mabel Normand in the direction of Fatty Arbuckle
1: Apparently, a lot of these uh, comedy movies, they didn't have any scripts, they had like one idea for something they could do. I mean, he could be a butcher, he could be a cook or something like that. And we can follow him at work, and then maybe he finds a girl, and you know, and let's do some gags around that. Maybe 50% of the movie is uh, pre-thought out. And when you came to a set, you would think out the rest uh, 50%. Roscoe wasn't... uh, I mean, he um, had a big scandal in the 20s. He was accused of uh, raping and killing a woman at a party, I think. But there wasn't any real concrete evidence for this. And he was freed. That didn't really help him because uh, in the public eye, he was guilty. And so his career went uh, downhill and... uh, yeah, that's the end of him. The result of uh, this scandal was that uh, Hollywood, they started um, controlling everything much more. Uh, so to avoid scandals like these, they, they put some um, uh, censorship in motion all of their actors were like uh, you weren't allowed the same kind of creative freedom as you were in the 10s often they weren't allowed to do their own stunts there would be stunt people standing in for the big stars so this scandal actually affected hollywood movies a lot
0: I was thinking about Mabel Norman, though. She she seems credited to have uh, taught Charlie Chaplin more or less everything he knows about cinema and also developed the tramp together with him. Oh,
1: so she's really important then. She was a big star as well in the Keystone Company, I think, doing a lot of these... Uh...
0: Yeah, yeah, I watched uh, a couple of movies, but yeah, for, for the action crowd, they are not heavy hitters. Another heavy
1: hitter in the comedy region is, of course, uh, Harold Lloyd, which... Is somewhat uh, forgotten sometimes. Uh, people tend to think Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, that's the main players of the silent movie era. But I think Harold Lloyd has some really nice energy to his movies. And uh, his um, iconic uh, glass character took a while to um, be conceived. He had a couple of different characters in the early 10s, but in the late tense he had his class character as a result maybe i think he started to get more refined comedy and faster paced i mean he has some really nice uh, thumbles with cops his movies is like keystone cops only good so like movies like bumping into broadway and from ha- hand to mouth from 1919 are two movies that you really ought to check out. They're really nice and a lot of chases. The finale of bumping into Broadway is sort of like a masterpiece, I think. Cops running around in a big mansion, uh, Harold Lloyd trying to hide himself in a coat rack by being a coat. Uh, He's doing like a, a flip backwards off the knees of a cop over another cop and they're chasing around stairs and it's madness.
0: I mean, he, he kind of perfects those. Uh, we saw a bunch of uh, more and more cops chase some dude in the nineteen hundreds. <laughs> these are like, um, yeah, a refined, we gotta find a synonym for refined. <laughs> but these are refined uh, chase movies. Very good. I, I loved in, uh, was it in From Hand to Mouth? Because I, I didn't watch that many Harold Lloyd. I didn't have the time. And uh, some of the earlier stuff were, uh, but these two, at least, have brilliant parts. And uh, in in the end, From Hand to Mouth, I think he goes around and collects the cops that are chasing him. Yeah, that's a very nice scene as well. It's a very funny variation when you have seen <laughs> a bunch of these, <laughs> a bunch of cops yeah. chasing a guy. That he uh, goes around and wants them to chase him because he, he wants to lead them to the bad guys. That uh, that of course has uh, kidnapped a girl. Yeah, and it's and fast fast
1: edited, it's frenetic. He has a really nice um, characterization to his run he's very broad but it's perfect for this kind of comedy he swings his arms and his legs out a lot and uh, when everybody's chasing after he's jumping in and out of holes like Bugs Bunny I love him I think he's uh, he's um... Buster Keaton is without a doubt number one but uh, number two Harold Lloyd for my money And I I think that sort of concludes our take on the 1910s from an action movie perspective. There's a lot of things going on. (laughs) Um, A lot of comedy movies are being made and uh, perfected. And the pure action cinema spectacle of the serials. Pure like action movies as we see them today. That may not be that much going on in in the tens. I think.
0: No, they will arrive now, won't they? In the twenties.
1: Yes, they definitely will. And uh, for our next episode, nineteen twenty, I think we'll actually do one movie and the entire year uh, for our next episode. We will be taking a closer look at Douglas Fairbanks.